Hey, if you want to grab a Bible, we're going to jump right into it today in Colossians chapter 3. And here's where we're going to go. You know, I was thinking this week, it's a timely message. God always, I find in my life, he wants to apply the message to my life before he lets me come up here and share it with you. And the thing that we're looking at today is how through the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit is produced in our life. And the question we're asking is, you know, how does that kind of life change flow out of a heart that is truly transformed by the gospel, that is in love with God, or just a heart that is trying to push goodness out, a morally restrained heart or a spiritually transformed heart? And today we're looking at this idea of peace. What is it? And as we experience what we did this week, certainly in our schools with our kids, it's not just the threats of adults towards kids, it's the threat of kids towards kids. And that kind of environment, how do we have peace? And in some ways, if we could just be honest, the, what we saw, the violence we saw this week is just a small taste of what happens, I think, in the, across the world, across the globe, every single day, these kind of events happen. When they come close to our, our door front, to our homes, that impact is real, but that's happening across the world. And so if we truly took in the suffering of the world, how could we walk in peace? So in Colossians chapter 3, we're going to pick that up and discover what peace is. And then in many ways, how do we cultivate that? And it's very different as we look at the fruit of the Spirit. It's very different from what the world promises. So Jesus will say, you know, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you. I do not give as the world gives. So the peace that God wants to have for us is not something we walk in or that we see in our own culture, our own society. So how do we walk in something that's so foreign, so distant from us, that we really need to be refreshed on a daily basis? So let's jump into Colossians chapter 3. We're going to pick it up in verses 1 through 11. We got this? Colossians 3, verses 1 through 11. All right. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. And so put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And these you used to walk when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouths. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and you have now put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all, and Christ is in all. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. You know what was unique about the Christian faith among really any any other religion in the world is Christianity drew together a diversity of people that the world had never seen. Judaism tended to stay within Judaism. It didn't cross a lot of racial boundaries, though they were called to be light unto the nations. They didn't do a good job of being light unto the nations. And so the Jews gathered the Jews, the Scythians, whoever they are, the barbarians, they all gathered themselves. 
The reason we are called Christians is because nobody had a term, a name, for a group of people who followed Christ but were from diverse backgrounds. One of the most shocking realities that you see in the New Testament is you'll see this statement of masters and slaves worshiping together. Now, sometimes we struggle with that concept of slavery. We can't get into it today. It's not the same thing that we had in the United States, a different concept, though it's not good. But when you recognize in the Bible, here are these maybe business owners standing next to those that are working with them, to whom they're abusing, and they're worshiping God together. What happens is that changes lives. It changes society. Not simply because you've set up morality, but because you've changed the heart. And when you change the heart, the life begins to change. And so Christianity, more than any other faith, tore down the dividing walls, the Bible says, of hostility and have brought peace where there was once war. Now, if that's true for racial differences, if that's true, ready for this, for political differences, do you realize the political diversity in the disciples? Have you ever noticed in the 12 disciples the range of political diversity and yet they walked in peace because Christ was their peace? See, the peace of Christ can tear down all the things that we build up because of what he's done. So before we jump into it deeply, we need to understand how this peace is different probably from what you're hoping for on a daily basis, what our heart's resonating with, and even, I think, what our culture throws at us as kind of the qualifications for what peace is. And so a couple things. First of all, peace is not an emotion. It's a power. Peace is not simply a feeling. I think that's where we go to. It's a feeling. Rather, it's a power that's at work in your life. Now, listen to the way the Bible describes this. First of all, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 describes it this way. And let the peace of God, and notice the language, guard your heart. Now, feelings don't guard. Power, strength guards. When it says peace guards, what it's saying, it's like an army. And when the army sets up around a village, around a community, around a town, it guards the community. And likewise, peace is a power that is set to be set up around our heart to guard our heart from what is coming at it. Now, this is the peace that comes from Christ. And so also in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, Paul doesn't only say it guards our hearts, but rather in Colossians 3, 15, he says, let the peace of Christ, and I love this term, rule over your hearts, which means to have domination. God, through his peace, wants to have domination, which means I've got to submit, something I have a hard time doing, even when it comes to peace. God, I want my peace. I want to give as I give. I want to walk in my peace with my conditions and my strength and all my beauty and all that kind of stuff. And he says, no, Jason, I want to rule over your heart and allow my peace to rule. Now, the word rule in the Greek comes from this idea of to umpire. Now, when we think of umpires today, I think of someone that gets abused. I mean, I love baseball. I love the environment of baseball. I love listening. I love everything about baseball. I love James Earl Ray saying baseball. If you don't know that, you need to find out what I'm talking about right there. I love baseball. But when it comes to umpires today, they get, they get pushed around. You know, they don't necessarily set all the rules, but rather in the past, when the umpire was in charge, he was in charge. You didn't question him, and if he wanted to change or she wanted to change the rules, that was their right. They ruled over the games with absolute authority and power. See, that's the same image, the same concept that Paul's saying the peace of God needs to do in our life. On the one hand, it needs to protect, but then it needs to rule, to dominate, to control, to inflict, to be saturated in his peace. So peace is not an emotion. 
It's not simply a feeling, because feelings can't guard like that. They can't rule like that. It's a power, because that power is in the Prince of Peace, who is a person. And so that, that reality is a power. Then second, the peace of Christ is not ruled by circumstances. Now, if you're a mother today, would you, and you're here today, and you love your mother, would you please change her circumstances so she can have some peace? If you know what I'm saying there? I'm not suggesting that circumstances can't bring a little extra peace. So if you took care of the boys this morning, or if you, you're going to prepare some things, that's great. It's good to change, but the reality of the Christian life is our peace in Christ isn't dominated by what we're experiencing. And so here's, again, how Jesus captured it in John 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He's telling you there is a peace that leads to fear. Do you hear that? He's saying, I'm leaving you something now. What he left us was the gospel, the Holy Spirit. So through the Spirit and the gospel, the word of God, we experience peace. But he's telling you there is a false peace that leads to trouble. There's a false peace that leads to fear. Now that false peace is always anchored in something you can lose. And so if your peace is anchored in something you're going to lose, it's a false peace. It's not something that's going to sustain when life goes south. Rather, the peace that God offers us is something we can experience in the midst of struggle. There is a kind of peace that overcomes. Now, here's a way that, that's helped me to understand what that looks like. When you think of a mirror, a mirror cannot produce light. Mirrors don't have the ability. There's nothing in a mirror that can produce light. All it can do is reflect the light that is sent to it. So if the room is light, the mirror reflects light. But when the room is dark, when trouble comes, the mirror cannot reflect anything but what it's given. Now, that's the way your culture wants you to live. Reflect what we give you. Are you with me on that? Look how outraged we are. You should be outraged. Look at how happy we are. You should be happy like we are. It wants to say you're a mirror. And it wants you to simply reflect what it's giving you. See, God wants to allow his peace to be not just simply something you reflect, but something that's internal. It's something he has placed within you, and it's something that he's working through you. So first of all, we got to ask, hey, what's stealing our peace? What are you reflecting when it comes to the peace you're trying to cultivate? What are you looking to? And the honest truth is our culture's got a good grip on our heart. I mean, if you're turning on media at all, my phone this week, it just told me it was the sad news just before I got up here. It said I've spent an hour and 30 minutes on my phone. It told me that right before I got up here. Which means there's often I'm going to that thing to find something. And in our culture, it's saying experience, taste, all of that is to cultivate this, this idea of peace. And so it's not something that's tied to emotions. It's not tied to our circumstances. Rather, it is the peace that comes from Christ. And the idea is when you have peace with God, you have peace from God. And so let me jump into that in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul describes it this way, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. What that means is we have a relationship to the Father through the peace that Christ has given us. That we have access to the Father and our relationship to the Father is good. 
and we are righteous in his sight. And if that captivates our mind, our will, our emotions, it should lead to peace. Because the ultimate creator that created you and loved you, he now accepts you and you're adopted as the children of God. Now the challenge is, again, the peace the world is offering is stronger than the message of the gospel. Hopefully that's why you're here today, because you're trying to get that in your heart a little bit more. The challenge we have is the message the world's sending us, and what it's telling us is the location of peace is stronger than the actual message that we have from God through Jesus Christ. It's not dominating us. And so how do we practically, if this is the idea, it's not an emotion, it's a power. It's not based on circumstances. It's the peace that comes from Christ, so you need to know Christ. But how do we actually pragmatically live this out? So you ready for this? This we're going to jump back in, in uh, Colossians chapter 3. And what Paul's doing, he's getting really simple and pragmatic, and he's saying this is the logistics of how you cultivate this. So let's jump back in. In Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to see three things. The first is you've got to think. Do not shut off the mind in the pursuit of peace. You've got to think, you've got to dig, and you've got to look. Now, the first thing is to think. So watch this in verse 1. He says, if then, so if we have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The right hand of God is the depth of intimacy. When someone is at your right hand, that is the closest place of intimacy. So he's saying, we have been raised with Christ. Christ is now at this place of intimacy. And because that's true, set your minds on things that are above, not on earthly things or not on things of the earth. Because, again, that's what Jesus said. Hey, the peace I give you is not of the things of the earth. So what is he saying? We need to allow... We need to allow the truth of what Christ has done to be something that's captivating the heart. See, peace is about what we love. Joy, I said last week, is about what you find beautiful. Peace is all about what we love and what we're allowing to love us. So now in our culture, here's what I see is the tendency towards peace and the way that our culture says, and maybe you need to check it this week, maybe I'm wrong, but... As you turn on the radio, as you watch whatever television show, you pick up a magazine, often it's going to have something like four affirmations you need to tell yourself daily. You know, three, three techniques to bring into your life to cultivate peace. Four strategies, seven tactics. In our culture, it's all about what you need to do. Peace is really about something I've got I've to put on. I've got to carry it's something i got to do. It's pragmatic. It's something I've got to set into my life. The Bible moves on an opposite direction. You can't get peace from doing anything. You cannot get peace from doing something or from something happening to you. It, it's based on what you love. It comes ultimately from what you love. Now, how can we prove that? Well, when you think of the Old Testament, there was these ten pretty big commandments. But of those Ten Commandments, there were four that essentially said, don't set your heart, don't fall in love with anything but God. Did you realize that was what it was saying? Jesus helped us with that because he said, here's what it's saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which just means everything with your entire person. Now, when your heart loves something, again, that's where we get peace from, from what we set our heart upon. And he's saying, if you set your heart on anything but God, that is going to become the location of your peace. 
So if it's set in circumstances, those circumstances are going to change and that peace is going to be gone. But when it's set in him and your relationship with him, it's now secure. And the truth is in life with changing circumstances and events that have happened this week that we saw in the schools, your heart's running for something to try to get stability. And our culture's constantly saying, usually the marketing's pretty good on this. They know what they're doing. If you buy this, if you experience this, if you taste this, if you have a family like this, if you look like this, if you live like this, that's going to bring it. And God's constantly saying to us, I love you more than that. I love you more than what the world's going to give you. And so the love that God wants for us is resting in his love for us, which results in peace. And so the first thing we got to do is we got to think. We've got to think out the implications of what we believe. And the opposite of what our culture is, our culture says, don't think, feel. Listen, just trust your desires. Because I don't know about you, my, de- my desires are constantly lying to me. At times they're saying, hey, be a great husband. And then sometimes it's saying, you have a right to be a jerk. You know, be a great father. At times you have a right to your kids to serve you. My desires, I don't know about yours, are saying, hey, I want to be in shape. I want to eat ice cream. Now, which one of those is me? Which desire stuff? I, usually it's the ice cream side, but when, when it comes to our culture, it's constantly saying, hey, don't think, just feel. See, Christianity, unlike any other philosophy, says, hey, no, no, think deeply. Don't ignore the school shooting this week. To ignore that is to actually escape peace. Don't ignore the suffering in your life. Be honest about what's going on. And think out the implications of what you believe. Now, we'll see what that means, because more than just thinking out, you've got to dig down. Now, what do I mean by digging down? You've got to look down below the surface into what you're really trusting in. Because all of us will say, I'm trusting in God, but the reality is there's functional things in your life that are taking the place of God. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but in your life, there are functional things that when you're walking out the door, and it's hard to tell on a good day, it's really hard. It's easier to tell where your peace is on a bad day because it's what you run to when things go south. It's what you worry the most about. It's what you're afraid to lose. Those things tie into what it is that's deep within the surface of our hearts. You know, Richard Foster, who wrote The Celebration of Dis- Discipline, said it this way. He said, The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for a greater number of deep people. Those who know what they're trusting in are willing to go beneath the surface. So again, if we jump back into the passage, here's how he describes that. In verse 1, if you have been raised with Christ, then he says, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on earthly things. And here's why, because we've died, which means we've died in Christ, So your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, and this is the language that's important, what is your life? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you'll appear with him in glory. What are you looking to and saying, that is my life? I remember hearing this story about a young man that um, he dated a girl for a number of years. You know, prom was coming up. He had all these visions, I guess, hopes of inviting her to prom. And they broke up, right, after three years, right before prom. And this pastor was telling me about this experience, and he was trying to share with it. This young man was devastated, right? She was his life. She was his world. And yet he was a Christian. And so the pastor said, yeah, but let's think about the love of God. Let's think about how God has loved you. Let's think about how he sacrificed for you. 
What are the ways that he's demonstrated his love? And so they started talking about this and praying through it. And finally, the young man, and he went deep. This is what it looks like to go deep. He was honest. He said, you know, pastor, what is good? What is the, what's the deal with the love of God if I don't have a girlfriend? That's honest. He's saying what is really guarding my heart, what is ruling my heart is this relationship. And if I don't have this relationship, I'm not okay. What he needs to say to that relationship is, you were great. I would love to have you back. You're not my life. Christ is my life. When he's saying set your mind on things above, he's saying set your minds on the things that are going to reinforce that Christ is my life. What does that look like? You need to sing about it. You need to talk about it. You need to share it. You need to rejoice in it. You need to gather with people on Sunday morning and hear about it. And then we need to gather during the week and pray for each other in it. We have to allow that truth to resonate not just in our mind but our affections and in our life so that it influences what we're saying is our life. If I asked you now, what is your life? I wonder where Jesus might rank. And honestly, practically, what am I looking to? And when you find out what it is, you really need to say to it with all conviction, you're wonderful, you're good, but you're not my life. Because see, peace is lost when a good thing becomes the ultimate thing. See, I find often my sin isn't so much about the bad things I want to do. It's about the good things that I'm trusting in too much, that I'm making a relationship. Maybe my wife has to be my peace. And that relationship is the center of my peace. That's a good thing. But when my wife is an ultimate thing, it's no longer peace. Because rather, I'm now using her to gain something for myself. And the Bible is constantly saying, God has created good things. Sex is a good thing. Desires, they're a good thing. Pleasure is a good thing. But when it becomes an ultimate thing, it destroys the heart. And so what is it in your life What is it that you're not digging down deep enough to discover, hey, this isn't my life. This is good, but it's not the center. And then finally, he says, we need to think it out. We need to think it out. Because again, in these phrases, you'll see it in verse 1. You'll also see it in verse 3. He says, you've been raised with Christ, and therefore we seek the things that are above. And then he says, "You've you've died with Christ. What he's saying is in the death of Jesus, that was my death. And in the resurrection of Jesus, that is my new life. Now, what what does that mean? It only means something dependent on our relationship to the Father. See, that when Jesus died, I literally died. Now, what does that mean? It means that the way that the Father sees me is no longer through my sin. I now have access, ready, through the Father, through one spirit, through Jesus Christ. The Father no longer sees me according to what I've done. And now that hasn't sunk in deep enough. The Father doesn't see me according to how, what I've done. My peace isn't based on what I've done. It's based on what Jesus Christ has done for me. So that when I find myself in a place of disobedience, I'm running back to my Father to be my source of peace instead of to my own shame and guilt, which is simply going to take more peace away from me. Are you with me on that? How many of you run from God when you're disobedient with God? Uh, Hopefully, I mean, all of us do. Because we think, God, you can't accept me right now. You can't love me right now. You don't know what's happened to me. No, he does. You've you've died. 
your relationship with him isn't dependent on what you've done or what you can do. It's dependent on what Christ has done. You are completely forgiven, completely loved, completely accepted. And here's the good news. You've also been raised. Which I'll tell you, for me, means, God, I don't have the strength. And he's like, Jason, it's good you finally realize it. Why are you trying to do my stuff in your strength? You've been raised with Christ. The Spirit of Christ now dwells in you. You're a child of God, an heir of the kingdom of God. Are these things resonating in your heart in such a way that that's my life? That's my passion. That's my joy. He says, I do not give as the world gives. Therefore, do not let your hearts be troubled. Let me ask you, what's trouble in your heart? And it may be absolutely legitimate, but it's not your life. And what God wants us to do is simply to say, God, whatever I'm setting at the center of my life, would you be that? Would you be my life? Would you be my peace? And this week as I go into the world, would you be, would you be careful to check? What is it I'm really setting my life upon? What am I turning on? What am I resting in? What am I daydreaming about? Because see, when Christ becomes your life, when hardship comes, he doesn't he doesn't run. When you fail, he, he's, not, he's not afraid. He doesn't pull back. Instead, when hardship comes, when peace gets shaken, he becomes not less real. He becomes more real. He becomes more near. Because the truth is, the supernatural peace of God, it doesn't override emotions. No, it, it doesn't override what we experience. When something is shaken in our life, we're, we're afraid. And yet it doesn't lead to anxiety. Why? Because as soon as I experience fear, I say, wait a minute, that's not my life. That's a good thing in my life. I'm afraid. I don't want to lose it, but God, that's not my life. And then when something in your life is threatened, when somebody does something, you may get angry. Jesus got angry. He got concerned. But you know, when he got angry, he didn't allow what happened to him to be his life. We do. It's called shame. This is what's happened to me. Therefore, I will never trust somebody again. That's just called victimization over and over again. You know what you need to say to that event? Hey, you're not my life. I know what happened to me was wrong, but that's not my life. My life is in Christ. So when he says, do not let your hearts be troubled, as we pray this morning and close, I just want to encourage you through the Spirit to say, hey, God, what am I looking at? What is troubling my heart? And it may be legitimate, but to say to it, you're not my life. Christ is my life. I have died with Christ. I've been resurrected with Christ. Father, may the love of Christ and the joy that comes from Christ be that which sustains my peace. And when we help each other, you know, we need to help each other. And it is so difficult in life to walk alone. But the peace that God wants us to give to, give to us is a peace that comes from a community of people who are thinking out, digging down, and looking up. Let me pray for us.